Hey everybody, it's Farley. This will be our last episode of season two. This one was recorded way back at the beginning of May, if you can even remember back that far. Around that time, there was a swell of attention and energy and focus on racial justice in this country because of the murders of Black people and people of color. My sister and I decided that while we had this beautiful episode ready for you, we held it so that the voices of Black activists and artists could be lifted up above ours. At the same time, we didn't want to not share this episode because it is with our dear friend Lynn Castile Harper. She'll talk about her new book in the episode. And in a real way, her work is part of a larger movement for justice. So we hope that you accept this as part of our response and know that we are being thoughtful and and prayerful and active in the other parts of our lives, not on the podcast, to respond in meaningful and appropriate and indeed lifelong ways. We hope you enjoy and thank you so much for being with us. Are you in the closet again? It's the sound sounds great. I am in the closet. Mm-hmm. That's so great. I'm usually in support of people coming out of the closet, but in this <laughs> case, <laughs> you just stay in there. You just stay right in there for the sake of the sound. Yes, I have my fleece robe a la mom with me. Oh, just with you, not on you. I'm not on me. I'm just looking at my surroundings. <laughs> my fleece. Ah, that's pull. What do you call it? Sweater? Pullover. A hoodie? Oh, a dad. Hoodie sounds the hood. Ah, okay. Yeah, a fleece. Or a polar tech, as <laughs> mom and dad call it. A polar tech 500. So what are we, what are we doing today? So I really... Um, and I'm excited because we're going to talk to my friend, Lynn. Yeah, Lynn. So here, here are the topics for this call that I anticipate. Aging and ageism. Mm-hmm. Emerging authors with books that came out during the pandemic. Okay. Uh, Maine, introversion. Maine as in the state of Maine? Mm-hmm. The state of Maine introversion, the ridiculousness of nonprofits. Wow. There's already so much to cover. Yeah. The scourge of social media. Mm. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. So all of these topics, mostly because we're, oh, and some, um, yeah, an intersectional critique of the term darkness okay so you're gonna be leading this (laughs) (laughs) but can you remind me can you remind me 
Yeah, who Lynn is. Okay. So when I worked at the church, there was a group of us minister types. Mm -hmm. And I had, so Lynn was one of them, is still one of them. And we have another friend named Amanda. And Amanda said of Lynn that she is the best one of us. Like of all the ministers, including the senior minister and probably the Pope, and we're not Catholic, but mm. definitely of our staff, Amanda would say, Lynn is the best one. So that's the first way I would describe her is she's just the best one. Okay. She's the minister of older adults, and she has just written, she's just published rather, a book on dementia and aging. Her calling is to give voice to the voiceless through her writing. Mm, I love that. And this and book her. is painfully gorgeous. Just, just painfully beautiful. Um, What's the name of the book? Oh, the name of the book is On Vanishing, Mortality, Dementia, and What It Means to Disappear. I mean, the title itself is giving me a heartache. Okay, so I'm going to read you some of the... This is just the shiny flap thing. Mm -hmm. Book cover. I just want to read you this. Weaving together personal stories with theology, history, philosophy, literature, and science. I mean, hello. (laughs) Um, Harper, Lynn Castile Harper, confronts our elemental fears of disappearance and death, drawing on her experiences with people with dementia, both in the U.S. healthcare system and within her own family. In the course of unpacking her own stories and encounters, of leading a prayer group on a dementia unit, of meeting individuals dismissed as already gone, and finding them still possessed of complex, vital inner lives, of witnessing her grandfather's final years with Alzheimer's, and discovering her own heightened genetic risk of succumbing to this disease, Harper engages in an exploration of dementia that is unlike anything written before on this subject. Expanding our understanding of dementia beyond progressive vacancy and dread, on vanishing, makes room for beauty and hope, and opens a space in which we might start to consider better ways of caring for and thinking about our fellow human beings. Mm, Gorgeous. I can't wait to read it. So that... That writing is so Lynn, that approach is so Lynn. She's a wonderful storyteller and obviously very educated and well-rounded. She brings a lot to her ministry and she's done, she has taught me so much about aging and older adults and she sees so much beauty and spiritual depth and value in older adults that it's really enriched my own appreciation of that of those people Mm -hmm. and what I love about Lynn is that she she's the best one and she's the smartest and most thoughtful one and she's also really fun she's hilarious (laughs) she apparently is working on a stand-up act or something and I totally believe it oh my gosh that sounds amazing many layers many layers my, my experience with her is that she is absolutely lovely and calm. Even when I just think of her in my mind, I already sort of feel the sense of calm. And that she just, yeah. 
she's a very calming spirit. Yes. Like I feel kind of hyper and out of control around her. Right. So imagine how I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) But I, but in such a pleasant way, like it's, (laughs) it's so calming and I don't feel, you know, sometimes with folks who are much more calm than I, I can feel a little judged. Like I, I feel really out of body and that I need to calibrate to that person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I didn't feel the need to calibrate <laughs> yeah. with her. She like, we could both exist. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's like a motto for Lynn. We can both exist. <laughs> She's also, as, as I said, her, she feels her call is, is to speak for those who our society makes voiceless. Mm-hmm. She has the most razor sharp understanding of and commitment to justice equal yeah. to anyone anyone I've experienced. She's she's so clear on what is just and she will name it in that gentle, sweet way. But she, she has this really deep power for justice that is founded on her her faith and her practice of ministry. Hi, Lynn. Yeah. Is this Catherine? Yes, it is. Hey, Catherine. Hey, this is Farley. Hi. I just was trying to be fancy with my microphone, and it <laughs> I, I aborted that, so now it's just me. It's just you. We'll take just you. There's no fancy equipment. There's either. no fancy. I'm in a closet with a bunch of fleece. Oh, wow. You have your own studio. I do yeah. I have my own studio. Let's see, what is this? What is this box that my computer's on? I don't know. An unmarked, unmarked cardboard box. That's a good metaphor for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's snowing here. What? It's yeah, yeah it's the coming polar down. Vortex. Mm, mm. In New York City? In Maine. Maine. Oh, you're in Maine. Yes. So I decamped to Maine. (laughs) I see. That's Farley said she wanted to talk about the state of Maine and I didn't know where it was going, but now it's um, because you are there. Yes. Yeah. For the time being. So uh, Ryan teaches up in Maine. So we have a small, small place. Well, I can't imagine experiencing snow right now but there's my imagination has been stretched in a lot of ways recently (laughs) Uh, yes yes so you can imagine snow on May 9th here I can I can and it sounds terrible but um I'm probably beautiful too maybe yeah it is pretty it is it really came down on Easter weekend too so (laughs) I'm just uh yeah (laughs) are there leaves like, are there flowers and baby squirrels and stuff that will now all be dead? There, uh, there are not leaves currently. Um, there are daffodils that just started to come up. So yeah, okay. it's, yeah, it's just probably about, I don't know, eight weeks behind Virginia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Yeah. I'll call you in August. And see how it's going. Yeah, see how the thaw is going. Right. Um, see how it's God, going. that's just way too far north. We're up here. Yes. So I've already read Catherine an excerpt from your just the jacket cover of your book, mm-hmm. which is really beautiful and so you. Mm-hmm. And you're like in the big time. <laughs> Catherine, you have no idea how famous Lynn is now. I mean, I have some idea because I have to like reapply for friendship. (laughs) (laughs) These these are the moments like when Lynn's on the, you know, Today Show and she can say, I have my first, you know, foray into podcasts was, this this is our link to famedom. My most ridiculous (laughs) interview. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know, it's so funny. Like as an introvert, I just want to typically crawl under a rock when I have to be public and so this is a steep learning curve for me I'm not famous by any stretch but just to even have invitations to (laughs) do these kinds of podcasts I have to kind of summons a summons another side of myself well I'll have you know you would have been on the podcast anyway that's true there's nothing to do with your book. We can talk about it if you want, but I don't, oh, you know. Thank you. Thank you. Apparently you've been working on that a little bit, but <laughs> I knew you way six before. years. <laughs> <laughs> so like pretty small investment of time. Kind of what you've been like, doing yeah. or whatever, but so Lynn, Lynn, I, I am thinking because I know that you were just written up a little bit in the New York Times, but I wanted to share that Ian and I have been doing these questions, asking each other these questions that the New York Times through Modern Love put out. And it was like 36 questions to fall in love, which I think you're supposed to do like before you're married and five years into your relationship. (laughs) But Ian and I are doing it retroactively and it's just confirming our love for one another Um, or, you know, yeah, very sweet and also silly. However, you're also really I, bored. So also that <laughs> stuff to do. Um, we have, yeah, we have exhausted every other conversation. So, um, <laughs> um, one of the questions was, do you want to be famous and why? And you are embarking on this sort of journey of becoming more known because of the amazing work that you're doing. And so I'm just curious sort of about your journey of the work that you, you know, have been doing and then your decision to make this work public through mm. writing and, you know, then being on podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I do feel, even though a part of me, like I say, wants to sort of hide and, <laughs> I, I don't want the work to hide. Like I, mm-hmm. I felt, I felt like a sense of urgency, almost like this is a manifesto of sorts about the subject matter. And, you know, for me encountering people with dementia. So my first job after div school, after chaplaincy training was at an assisted living and nursing home, working with people, uh, you know, frail older people and on a dementia unit. And just encountering the rich lives of individuals there. It was the highlight of my week uh, to get to do. I did a Bible study and a spirituality group with them. And I, 
I, I felt this sense that these people were being written off. Everything from my first day there when I was given a tour and told I wouldn't spend much time on this unit to the language we hear all the time around dementia. People are suffering the long funeral, the long goodbye, uh, vanishing in plain sight, the living dead. And I just felt this wasn't squaring with my experience. And so I started journaling. I didn't have the time or the vision yet to know where that was going. But after I left, after about seven years and my husband Ryan took a position, a two-year position down south in South Carolina, I knew that I wanted to take that gap to really dive deep. And what I uncovered was this whole other world of like alternate thinking about dementia and framing people as full humans and moving away from stigmatizing language and practices. And so I just started writing in seriousness then and knew I wanted it to be a book and knew I wanted the world to encounter it. So in some ways, this is the culmination of a longstanding desire. And it's not to be famous or to, to be like the focus on me as a singular sort of quote unquote special individual, but really to highlight the people who are often invisible. So in that way, I, I embrace it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Knowing that so many people are touched by the condition of dementia and that the, the dominant story we tell is one of dread and fear and horror. Yes. And there are other stories to be told. So that excites me. That invigorates me to get that message out there. Farley Farley was mentioning, you know, the way that you have phrased it in the past is that you want to give voice to the voiceless through your writing. And I think that is so needed. And especially for this population that is sort of voiceless and almost formless like we don't we don't think of these people in the forefront of our minds and and we're losing because we don't mm-hmm. we're losing mm-hmm. something we're losing this gift that they continue mm-hmm. to give the world I, I love how you phrase that that i think you you quickly said we need their gifts or we need to hear from them. It's sort of like we who don't have dementia yet or don't have an impairment that puts us in a stigmatized category. Like we, we need their gifts. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not just a matter of like, we're offering sort of a nice charity to these poor people, but that in a sense, we're diminished when we don't have them a part of the human family in in a vital way. I I felt like I've been made a better person through my relationships with people who have dementia. I was interested the last time we talked in that you were seeing so many there there's connections it's not it's not just about hearing the voices of people with dementia or aging people although 
that is a particular group. But the way that we dismiss them is the same way we dismiss other groups. And so for the um, Ahmad Arbery case, or even the coronavirus, the way that that marginalized groups get dismissed and suffer more, there's a connection there. So talking about your book with both of those things going on is um, deepens the conversation. I think that is a tough place to go for people um, to see the intersection of all different prejudice. So, you know, we don't usually think it may be of dementia in the same breath that we think of racism. Mm -hmm. But the forms we use, the language we use, um, reflects our biases in so many ways. And so when we talk about dementia as, you know, people descending into darkness, um, the light's on but nobody's home, or the lights are steadily going out in the brain, and we use that synonymously with that's bad mm-hmm. and evil and that's to be eradicated and light. It comes in the form of, you know, brilliant neuroscientists who are shedding light on uh, finding a cure. It just reinforces the same kinds of things that eventuate in a young black jogger getting murdered. The probing for me has to do with language, but not only language, but language that leads to action. Um, And our language creates our world and reflects our world. So I realize it is maybe a little esoteric for some, (laughs) um, that connection, but for me, it it felt important to name that. And especially when I was hearing at my grandfather's funeral about, you know, his, his dimming was how people chose to talk about his final decade. And at first it just, it upset me. I thought, oh, he didn't dim. <laughs> he, he was a bright light to the end. But then I thought, maybe, maybe I need to relook at that. Um, maybe dimming isn't a terrible thing. Lynn, can we, can we back up a little bit just to to give a little more context of what are we talking about when we're talking about dementia? You know, I think that there's probably some misunderstanding for sure. There's misunderstanding of what people are experiencing when, um, you know, when their mind changes and, then the categories of Alzheimer's versus dementia and, and what is it that you're, you're really looking at? Mm-hmm. So I, dementia is sort of the umbrella term uh, used okay. and Alzheimer's is the most common dementia producing illness. So if you look at, you know, dementia is a set of symptoms related to cognitive loss thinking, reasoning that interferes with your life. And so we all forget things all the time, but when it starts to impact and interfere with your daily life, that tends to be a a trigger. 
And so, yeah, Alzheimer's often gets used synonymously with dementia because 80% of dementia cases are Alzheimer's related. Okay. Um, but the other 20% could be, you know, many strokes in the brain, frontotemporal disorders. So there's, and there can be dementia associated with Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. So I, I tend to use dementia because it's a catch-all term. It's sure. broader, but I do slip into using Alzheimer's sort of interchangeably at times. What does it look like? What are we experiencing when someone near to us is going through this progression mm-hmm. of a changed mind? Yeah. Well, I hesitate to generalize, um, but for my family... My grandmother died suddenly, and when she did, it uncovered all the ways that she was assisting my grandfather in living a full life. Some might call that covering. So after her death, it became very clear that my grandfather couldn't live alone. My mother and my aunt moved in, really uprooted their lives because they weren't living in that community with him, and saw firsthand you know, how difficult it was for him to think and to navigate a day. And so after living with him, going on four months, they found an assisted living and he ended up living in a number of assisted living facilities before his death. And for us, it was, you know, seeing someone who had been so prominent in life, uh, a country physician, known in his community, a Rotarian International, went on Rotary International tours and ran a local pharmacy and just was really someone living in the active life and who very much valued the life of the mind. And to see that being stripped away was obviously very difficult. And yet at the same time, it those activities, at least for me, I realized, didn't define him as a human. They were part of his history. They were part of who he he was and an important part. But as those things sort of stripped away, we were left with someone who still loved life in a way, uh, still wished to be around people, And there was a certain tenderness that I had never experienced growing up. Uh, He was very frenetic, always on the go, always teaching me things and showing me things. And in his late dementia, he, he couldn't do those things. And for the first time in my 30 some odd years, we actually sat together, not, not doing much, but being together. And those are special memories for me. And I know that's not everyone's experience, but I like to think that's in the realm of possibility. And so, you know, a lot of books talk about disease stages and, you know, I recommend those to people too. if They want a more scientific or clinical view, but I really resisted that in my book uh, referring to stages because I feel like sometimes that subsumes the person. Mm-hmm. And so we start to look at everything they do as, well, that's just part of stage three. Right, right. (laughs) 
And maybe it's like anxiety producing. You're, you know, you're in stage three. And so you're just, you're looking out for those signs of stage four. And then you know that you're, you know, this person is progressing and Mm -hmm. takes you out of the present so quickly. Yeah, that's a great point. It, and it, and it starts to put this frame around someone that it's hard to shed then, you know, that (laughs) what stage are they in then defines them as opposed to, like you say, where, where are we in the present? What are they trying to communicate right now? Well, and I'm so struck. I mean, so much is going through my mind right now about how often we categorize people by symptoms or by certain behaviors versus looking at people holistically and, and appreciating, okay, these, you know, this certain set of behaviors may be symptomatic of a condition, but the experience is authentic to that person. If, if a person is crying, even if it's a symptom of some other condition, the crying is real. The experience is real. And so we can't just label it a symptom and then say, oh, it's just a symptom, so stop crying or feel better. I would love to hear about the Memory Cafe. Because yeah. I'm thinking about, so there's sadness and anger in those things, but also joy and beauty and um, love mm-hmm. that you have witnessed as part of dementia and as a way to paint a picture of, okay, this is what we don't want to do. So what mm-hmm. what's the alternative? How do we imagine a way to include dementia as part of some human's experience, mm-hmm. the human experience. And I just, I love that project that, that you were working on, that ministry. Oh yeah, it's, it, it's a joy. The Memory Cafe, it's actually a concept that was originated in the Netherlands in the 90s and came to the U.S. I think early 2000s or late 90s. And it's basically a very simple concept. It's that we gather uh, people with dementia and people without dementia and their, their care partners and in a stigma-free environment that is meant to be fun, humorous, uh, social, spontaneous. And it's uh, the, the disease label drops. And so when people come in, well, the one we had at the Riverside Church, uh, you know, we all get name tags and no one's asking who who has a diagnosis <laughs> but <laughs> and, and there's there's food just like a cafe there's food and um, at least my experience at Riverside is that it's been pretty intimate so it's been a little bit of a challenge uh, getting people to come but every time we gathered it's <laughs> it's we've played games We've used YouTube. So last time we found out one of the gentlemen had been a farmer and that he milked cows. And so we were asking him, how did, how do you milk a cow? And he was, you know, explaining it or trying to explain. And so we pulled up a YouTube clip on how to milk a cow. 
and we watched it with him and we all just had a ball and we're, you know, <laughs> just, wow. you know, here we are in the middle of Manhattan <laughs> learning how to milk a cow. Um, and so we partnered with some groups in the city and a, a Jewish group that's dementia positive. And it, it was a real delight. And I say was because we sort of faded out with it because the people who were uh, started attending the Memory Cafe ended up transitioning to attending every week our older adult programming on Thursday. So they became integrated into our larger older adult ministry, which in some ways is the goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. Mm-hmm. To not have segregated communities, um, even though that's sometimes how we have to start. So I was talking to the, the rabbi who helped us do our memory cafes. And I said to him, you know, gosh, I'm, I'm sorry we've sort of dropped off but the people are now coming every week to the other program. And he said, that's the goal. Mm-hmm. That's um, so cool. Yeah. So it's, it's been, thanks for asking about that. It's it's, so beautiful. Um, but even Catherine, like um, Lynn told me once about you, you can tell the story better, but having objects on the table or everybody gets some random object, like a funnel and a spoon and a balloon or whatever. And the game is you tell a story about it or write a poem about it or something. And so if maybe there was a story where whoever was holding the spoon, it reminded that person of a story from their childhood. Okay, great. Then you can tell a story about your childhood or you can say, oh, this morning I had Cheerios for breakfast and I sat with my friend or whatever. So that's the kind of inclusion where Mm -hmm. if you can remember 80 years ago, a story or an important story about something you did, great. But if you want to talk about what you had for breakfast, you're also playing the game correctly, quote unquote. Like you're still participating. I just, I loved that. And also about signage in buildings. So like how, how our buildings and culture is set up for people who can remember things and like figure things out based on reading signs or asking people. And some people aren't able to do that. And so how do you support them even getting to the room with well-marked signs? I just remember Lynn talking about that. And it was so eye-opening to me, like, right. You have to, you have to think about their experience and what's going to be difficult and, and shame-triggering versus, mm. versus allowing them to live fully. Mm. it ends up helping all of us right like right (laughs) right more signage is not bad (laughs) how many times did we get lost in the riverside church more than once (laughs) right where am i right or just you know i think about the number of tripping hazards you know and stone stone steps and you know how that's really good for all of us um which I think is just the beauty and the bottom line of inclusive communities is that right. we all, you know, people with little children benefit mm-hmm. when, you know, steps aren't a problem and um, signage is good. And yeah. So 
uh, it's, I think too, you know, to your point, Farley, with the game, it's like improv. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like improv. Um, mm, right. And so there are these great groups that are doing now improv comedy with groups of people with dementia because it's not about remembering a plot line. It's entering the scene. <laughs> right. And, so whatever the gift is spontaneity yes yes Mm -hmm. so I'm learning because you know I'm a Myers-Briggs J I like to plan (laughs) (laughs) you're you're among good company no I like a plan I like a list I like you know to know (laughs) yeah I just like "Mm, that makes Mm -hmm. me feel sick Mm, yeah (laughs) like is there another way I don't understand (laughs) when 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 I get off this call I'm gonna write a list So I find that it's really good for me to have to let go of some of that and that need for being perfection Mm -hmm. and being sort of like the good girl or the good student um, who says the right things and does the right things. And so I'm trying to let dementia teach me to loosen up a little and uh, take some risks. What other graces do you have you found Mm -hmm. even just being around your grandfather so there's spontaneity the gift of just being Mm -hmm. what else do people with dementia have to teach us Mm. I think for me it's been uh, dementia led me to contemplative the contemplatives of a Christian faith to walking the labyrinth to centering prayer, to kind of all those things in the faith tradition that kind of gets eclipsed sometimes, maybe not for Episcopalians, but for, <laughs> for Baptists. <laughs> Wordy ones. I know, I know. We put such Y'all talk emphasis. a lot. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. We put such emphasis on preaching and mm-hmm. teaching and studying, which has its place, uh, but of course. I, it just, yeah, dementia led me to mm. discovering practices that have to do with letting go as opposed to accumulating. So whether that accumulation is more facts or more insight into scripture or more words mm-hmm. uh, to, to letting go of the need to control everything. <laughs> Um, and so it's definitely a process and I feel like I've my whole life in some ways identified myself closely with my intellect and it's been a power in my life to resist sexism quite honestly I think being around my grandfather and being around people with dementia has given me hope for other options that that it doesn't have to be the end of life or love or relationships, but it is an end to framing yourself by your cognitive capacity. And so that's what they're teaching me. (laughs) What, What makes us believe that in order to be fully recognized or taken seriously, we have to think and act in this one way. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's defined by patriarchy too. Right. <laughs> We, we have, Farley and I have um, Alzheimer's in our genetic pool as well. So there's always been a sense of some level of fear that this could happen either to our father and then eventually to us. And there's been a lot of um, Lord family planning around this, <laughs> this possibility, um, which again, a family of J's, a family of planners. And so I think that's... Oh, you have no idea. Um, it's, yeah, it's really, it, it's brilliant. Actually, you do. You've met yeah. us. We've been at a family gathering. You see what we're working with here. <laughs> and so I think, I think there's some, some really amazing things that have happened because of that planning. And, and part of the planning has been having open conversation about if this is a reality, what does that look like? And I'm wondering, both for people like Farley and me who may encounter this, um, you know, with our own dad or, you know, in anyone in our, our family, sort of where, how do we think about it now? But then also for people who are living in the world who don't necessarily have someone in the family or don't have dementia in their genetic pool, but may, will certainly encounter someone, um, who is experiencing dementia in some form, what, what are we supposed to be doing? Hmm. I commend you all for talking so openly about it. it you certainly don't seem like a family that's steeped in denial. <laughs> you, that's you, accurate. You yeah. have a... <laughs> Like even this podcast, how wonderful, like you're so open and um, (laughs) to be able to talk about these tough things. So it's like, I, on one hand, great, like talk about brass tacks, talk about what this means. And on the other, I guess maybe soften the edges and that we don't know, we've done the planning we can do. But we don't know what's ahead. But what we do know is that in the best of our ability, we will be with you. And we will walk this dementia path together. And, you know, for people of faith, our value is bestowed and not earned. Mm. And I think anytime we can reassure one another in our faith communities and really highlight that, if our own families have faith, but that your value to me is not earned. Mm-hmm. Um, and to kind of reinforce that now, uh, as opposed to, you know, waiting, it's like we're laying the tracks for our future selves now. So if I can learn to be more forgiving and gentle with myself now in relationship to the things I forget to the things my I have limits understanding. If I'm able to be compassionate toward myself and those around me, I'm helping to lay the track, I hope, mm. for what is to come. So I think it's both and I think it's both like being very practical and you know, getting some advanced directives together and having these conversations. And also, I hate to say spirituality isn't practical because it is too, but 
going to that deeper level, asking, probing what it is that gives us value. I want to continue to be cooler than any other interview that Lynn is going to do in the next, I don't know, 40 years of her career. <laughs> so what I would like you to do is find a question that no one else is going to ask her that only we can ask her. And it's going to come from your trivia question. So do you want to be famous? That was close, but you need to close with something that nobody else is going to ask her ever. Woof. Okay. Hold on. Because one fame is my primary motivation. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Um, I have one. I have one. Yeah. Okay, great. If you, it's a two part question, Lynn. So oh, get okay. those Ooh. cognitive. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Get those cognitive Ooh. cylinders. Fired. All right. Okay. Okay. Here we go. If you could purchase without money being a cost of uh, being an issue, if you could purchase a vessel of any kind. I'm thinking a boat, a plane, a transportation a, vessel, a canoe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not like an urn. Yeah. R- correct. <laughs> correct. <laughs> um, if you could purchase a vessel, what would it be? What would you name it? And where would you go first? That's a three-part question. Yeah, I wow. added that. I added that last one. My so cognitive it, cylinders were fine. Spontaneity. Yes. <laughs> Improv. Uh, so is the vessel... <laughs> Here's the jam. Uh, Here it comes. <laughs> Here it comes, friends. <laughs> you need more. Okay. No, is, is the vessel... Is it... Um, it's not one previously in existence. It could be. <laughs> so okay, because yes. I, I know immediately what, what vessel I want to buy. Okay. But I think what I want to do, okay, I want to purchase this little train called the Dinky. Yes! <laughs> Should have added that to the topic. I didn't think we could do it, but. And here we are, though. <laughs> wow, divine. Okay, go on. So the Dinky is a one-car train (laughs) that runs from Princeton Junction, the main uh, train, New Jersey Transit, Northeast Corridor, from Princeton Junction to Princeton Township, Princeton Borough, the the town of Princeton, the university. And it's the smallest train, commuter train in the country. (laughs) It's the cutest. It's a one-car little train. It's the cutest thing ever. Um, Einstein would go on it back and forth and it has this great history. And when I lived in Princeton, I fell in love with it because that was my commute for my first year there, uh, to get to the big train, fell in love with this little train and it's always under threat. There's always threat that's going to close down because there's not funding. It's always under threat. So I would want to buy it. So it's not under threat. And I... I, yeah, <laughs> I'm so passionate about this little train that I made t-shirts um, <laughs> and sold them my time in Princeton. So I had a little cottage industry of dinky Wow, t-shirts. Lynn, never in my wildest dreams could I have <laughs> thought that would be your answer. I didn't even know that dinky existed. So you've changed my life. 
Um, and maybe we can tell, we can tell our listeners like where to donate, save the dinky. Save the, well, there's a save the dinky group. Um, there is, there is only, only in Princeton. It's off the chain. Okay. Well, thank you for just a phenomenal answer to that question. And I challenge any of your other podcast and, you know, fame, producing interviews um to come I'm assuming the it. dinky yeah has not come up so far. right it has it, it has not and that was a that was a true joy to get to talk about <laughs> my, my other love <laughs> well when you have dementia I will take you and put you on the dinky oh I would love right that all day uh, one day thank you thank you Oh, so good. Okay, well, we will talk to you soon. Okay, Okay. we'll be in touch. Bye now. Bye, Lynn. Bye. Lynn's book, On Vanishing, Mortality, Dementia, and What It Means to Disappear, was released this past April with Catapult Press and is available anywhere books are sold. Thanks again for listening. Take care, be well, and we'll talk to you next time.